Welcome into the Illini cast as part of the Big Banter Podcast Network and alongside Sonny and I, I'm Austin Berklin, alongside Sonny Verma is Mike Carpenter. We work together at SJ Broadcasting all these years, uh, part of the 200 Level Podcast currently. Carp, how's it going? It's going great. I mean, especially after last night where I, I kind of had modest expectations going into the basketball season and I just had fun. I've I've had fun in a way I haven't in a long time watching Illini Revenue Sports, so uh, it was kind of a nice palate cleanser for the way football has gone, especially. Yeah, let's get into that with football. Uh, I know we got to start out with the negative side of things (laughs) after that great Kansas win uh, that Illinois had in basketball, but what has disappointed you most in this college football season for the Illini standpoint? It's a bit macro, because... uh, the institutional knowledge I have as a fan, and many a lot of fans have, even ones younger than me, they know that the follow-up season to a successful season tends to not go well for Illinois. And I thought there were too many things going in their favor to slip in the way that they did in the year 2000 or 2002 or 2008. I thought that there were enough structural pieces in place where they would not slip and they would find a way to at least maintain some success and feel at the end of this season like you were building. But as we sit here right now, it just feels like a massive missed opportunity. And we know what the schedule is. And especially coming up with these four games, you know, I foolishly predicted nine and three at the beginning of the year, but I always tell people it wasn't based on that. I thought this Illini team was going to be great. I did not think that. I thought the schedule stunk. And yeah, Kansas was better than we thought. And Penn State was Penn State. But other than that, it was all right there for you. And you're staring down the barrel of probably a five and seven season unless they really make hay here. And that would be just not not just underwhelming. But my fear is that we might have already undone all the momentum that was built last year. And I, I kind of got that sense as people were walking out of the stadium after Wisconsin. That one in particular I think stung more than, let's say, the Michigan State game last year, which you could, you know, kind of wave off as a one-off kind of thing. But now there's a trend where Brett Bielema's teams aren't finishing games. And uh, I'm worried that there's more concerns going forward than there are things you can lay your, kind of put your hat on. And I did not anticipate that for this season. So moving forward, obviously, you know, ideal scenario we finish three and one and we hit the six and six mark and, you know, we go to a bowl game. But if you're Josh Whitman and you, you know, get Brett and the coaching staff in the room with you, what kind of suggestions would you make for them to be like, Hey, should we look into this? So that in the future, the bowl game is kind of the baseline, the floor that we're looking at. And, you know, the nine, 10 wins is kind of the goal. I think the first obvious answer is the transfer portal, which they hit for the biggest position. And I will say I'm a Luke Altmaier fan. I I really am. And even in his rougher games, there's something about him that I think, yeah, he can be your quarterback the next few years. So you got, I think you got something there. It shows what can happen when you can sell immediate playing time and that you're going to have dollars to burn because Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph and maybe an Isaiah, though maybe you pay Isaiah to stay. Uh, you're going to have some resources to use to bring guys in that can immediately help you. I do not think all is lost. I think that there's still some talent on this team. So bolster what you have with legit studs from Power 5 teams that might not be getting the playing time they want. And I think that you can kind of stem the tide a bit. Um, 
granting there's no replacing a Johnny Newton, but every team would be facing a similar situation. You're just going to have to go get some dudes. Secondly, you know, while the last two games there have been signs with the offense that they're finding an identity, and I think Caden Fagan has really changed the formula for that, I, I do think you still have to look at Steph. And I know the Big Ten West on the whole, the offenses stink. And I think there's something like in the Power Five, seven of the worst 10 scoring offenses are in the Big Ten, and five of them are in the Big Ten West. I understand the conference is crap with offense, but it is not that hard to score in college football. The rules are designed, so it is not that hard to score. Why is it so laborious for this team to score points? While there have been improvements, I think these last four games are monstrous for Barry Lunny. I would, at this point, be shocked if they would make a move because it seems like that's Bielema's guy. But after the transfer portal, I think you need to ask questions about the staff because you are paying them too much money to have shown this much ineptitude on the field. And I think you're in the top half of the Big Ten as far as your salary pool. So why is it that it felt like we've gotten outcoached in more games than not this year? That that can't happen. What kind of grade would you give Brett Bielema up to this point from how he started uh, post-COVID to where he is now? Oh, that's actually tough because there's so many different types of evidence to look at, good and bad. I mean, take the Wisconsin game. For three quarters, it looked like, yeah, this is a different program than a Lovey Smith program. And I will admit that even with these disappointing losses, this is a massive improvement on Lovey Smith. So let's not mistake that. This is by no means a step down, and it is, I think, objectively a step up. But the question that you asked about a grade, um, C+. Plus. And I think that can go to a B- minus if you just make a bowl. But as we're sitting here, short of a miraculous 4-0 finish, there's not going to be a whole lot that's going to galvanize the fan base. As I was texting with Trevor Valise and Isaac Ambrose. Imagine being 5-6 and six playing Northwestern the two days after Thanksgiving. How much excitement is there going to be to get to your sixth win and make a bowl? For you guys and me, there will be, because we want to make a bowl. But what will there be, 20,000 people in the stands? You've lost that greater section of the fan base that wants to root for you, but they just don't get enough reasons to. So I'm going to stick with a C plus to give that kind of arbitrary grade. And I do think that you can get back up to that B range by making a bowl. And I know it sounds outlandish, but it's not impossible for them to win all four games. If you take a good chunk of the Maryland and Wisconsin games, that's the team I thought we'd see this year. And while Indiana and Northwestern have looked spunky um, and maybe are a little bit better than what you thought, you still could win all four of these games. So I want to, you know, see how this plays out. But I just hate that you're behind the eight ball when I don't think the first eight games are all that tough to begin with. Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, we're, what, nine games in. What would you say is your biggest frustration with the team? I know that there's it's probably a laundry list, but if there's <laughs> one thing that maybe you weren't expecting coming into the season to be a flaw of ours, what would it be? Uh, the offensive line is answer number one, but I think what we're finding out with Caden Fagan I think the running backs kind of stunk. And if you don't have a stud running back under Brett Bielma, it's not going to work. I feel like the offensive line has gotten better. And it was only in the tail end of the Wisconsin game when Luke Altmaier had to scurry left and right and try to find an open receiver. And I'll get to the receivers in a second. That you found the offensive line was finally letting up. I thought on the whole, they played pretty well against Maryland and Wisconsin. So they are improving. The wide receivers outside by Isaiah 
um, Williams are very disappointing. And I'm not sure what the future is of that position because the fact that Casey Washington, despite the big catches he gets, and I love Casey for that, he's got kind of a legacy here, but the Pep Ryans and the Casey Washingtons, they aren't getting separation. Hank Beatty, non-factor. Malik Elzey, nowhere to be seen. Something that we were told was going to be a new strength of the offense has actually been something of a weakness, where despite getting all these passing yards, and this is credit to Barry Lunny, there are far too many plays where Luke Altmaier is getting murdered, not just because the offensive line's eh, but because no one's getting open. I don't really have much beef with the defense. Um, the secondary has had some plays they've left on the field, but I think we expected that. And... To be honest, outside of a position group, my biggest disappointment at the moment is at the very top. And I don't want to lose sight of that in conversations about Lonnie or Aaron Henry. This is Bielma's program. I've been particularly frustrated the last couple weeks, or really after the Wisconsin game. While I admit the targeting and the offensive linemen catching the game-winning touchdown pass, that's frustrating and all. But the perception that happens when you go up to the podium time after time and you address these grievances with the Big Ten Conference, as if there's some conspiratorial thing to get Illinois. I've spent way too much of my life rooting for what has been perceived as a loser program. And to my eyes, that's something a loser program would do. That has really ticked me off more than any positional group. And, and it's started to make me question a bit all this faith I had in Bielema, how much of it was unfounded. I still think he's the best coach we've had in a long time. But... Is he the guy in the way that <clears throat> Lance Leipold might be the guy at Kansas? And I know that's premature. He's got less miles, guys. But these questions that I never thought I'd be having to think about have kind of been percolating, especially when you continue to lose games that you just should not lose. With teams like USC, UCLA, Washington, and Oregon coming into the fray, do you change your offense at this point to maybe a more modern style, or do you kind of just have to stick with what Brett Bielema has done his entire career? Boy, I don't know, because Purdue is trying to adapt, and their offense stinks. When they aren't playing us, their offense stinks. Um, I know Wisconsin, same thing, but they're probably in a transitional phase, and that's why they're relying on Mon Mon not Monty Ball. Geez. They all run together. It's the same big, bulky back. I'm just so sick of Wisconsin. But, um, Braylon Allen. Thank you, Braylon Allen. So I don't necessarily think so. I, I know that the gut reaction is to look at those four teams coming in and think, boy, are we screwed. I don't know if it's that cut and dry. I, I think that the Big Ten did a fairly good job balancing the schedule. And there will probably be a day where every single game you play is a conference opponent. My biggest thing, uh, to be honest, is not so much changing your identity, because I do think it is better to have an identity than to just keep changing it. And that's why, as much as Barry Lunny frustrates me, there are moments, there were a few drives against Wisconsin where I'm like, this is great. I mean, there was a touchdown drive to go up, I think, 14 to 14 nothing, that I thought, that was perfect. Um, I see those from them when there's a good running back. So I don't know if we need to completely cut ties with that. Um, and I do think that we will see some growing pains, especially for a USC that's kind of a borderline top 25 team. Um, and USC, I know they got the gaudy ranking. Let's see what they do in the post-Caleb Williams era because they don't play a lick of defense. They have no interest in that. And Lincoln Riley, while you know what he brings, he also leaves you wanting. So, um, yeah, it's a concern. I just kind of wish that we would schedule patsies. I would, frankly, to be honest, buy out 
the Kansas game. Buy out the Missouri games. I don't need to play Power 5 teams. Do the Glenn Mason, Minnesota thing where you play three scrubs. Get the three wins. And then all you got to do is win three stinking games in the Big Ten. That's it. And that would be enough, I think, for a good chunk of the fan base. I'm I'm really tired of losing Power 5 non-conference games. And I one fix to that would just be getting better. But we aren't. We are what we are at a certain point. So start scheduling games you can win. I, I don't know if that's a crazy theory or not, but I mean, it's not like we don't have the money to do that. Let's turn the mood around a little bit and talk about a sport that hopefully is not going to be disappointing to us uh, like the football program has. Um, obviously, it was a great exhibition match between Illinois and Kansas. Uh, technically, you know, for charity, but if you saw the players on the field or on the court, it looked like it mattered. They were going all out. You know, it wasn't like they were playing, you know, second and third string players. What were your initial impressions of uh, the game last night? You're right about that, because I did the first half to podcast, assuming that the second half would be where the coaches try some weird things. It was not bad. It was a legit game, and it doesn't count. I wish it did in, in uh, retrospect, but I think the most impressive thing to me last night was knowing that both teams truly were going at it. There was not a moment in that game where I thought, boy, Kansas just isn't bringing it. Or, boy, we're just getting some shots and they aren't. It felt the entire time, even when Kansas would get within one or two, that you looked the part. There was nothing athletically, nothing size-wise, that made me think we couldn't compete with Kansas. Basically, at the first media timeout, I thought, well, this is fun. And it remained fun. So I think that the most exciting thing about what happened last night was many of the things that helped Illinois win that game, to me seem more sustainable than last year. Because bear in mind, the UCLA game, right, and the Texas game, you spotted them like 15-point leads. You you required furious comebacks to win, and you had enough raw talent to coalesce at the exact right time to get those wins. But boy, did you have to work for them. I do think this team, while they won't have maybe a gaudy non-conference win like that, though we'll see, um, I do think that what they showed last night leads me to think that they have the ability to be much more consistent. And I'll be honest, after all the turmoil, you know, behind the scenes last year, the mess of Matthew Meyer and Jaden Epps and Sky Clark and all that garbage, it, this year would feel so less, so much less toxic if they're just consistent and good. Last night, to me, indicated that's probably what they're going to be. And I can kind of sit back and relax much more as a fan feeling that way. What was your thoughts on the newbies that were brought in? Hmm. Love Marcus Damask. Uh, the fact that he was running point a little bit was something I did not expect. He can handle the ball very well. He's a great passer. Quincy Garrier was a little slow to get going, but when he did, I, I think it made sense that he was in that closing lineup along with Damask. So those two additions were two additions I loved. I think the swing and the miss on Ray J. Dennis sort of soured my overall perception of the offseason, but perhaps unfairly, because when you look at the closing lineup out there, surprisingly with Justin Harmon, I'm guessing for free throw shooting, uh, I kind of like that. I'm looking at five dudes that are veteran players that can score the basketball. And uh, while Justin Harmon didn't score a ton yesterday, to me, the most impressive thing with him, there were, I think, three separate times where he got in the passing lane and just knocked it away from Hunter Dickinson. He was active. So for the newcomers, those three I thought were fantastic. The freshmen were freshmen. I don't think they're going to play much this year. Despite all the talk of a 12-man rotation, no. You're, in the Big Ten, you're going to go eight. 
And it's probably going to be Dane and Goody and Harmon off the bench. And I love that starting five. I, I really like it for the um, kind of diversity of roles each of them can play, the size. And if you make threes, there's not a team you can't beat. And most encouraging when they weren't making threes in certain stretches, then they went back to the attacking offense and getting to the rim. Plenty of free throws. There are very few things to dislike about the newcomers or for that matter, the whole picture last night. What are some things that, uh, you know, concern you a little bit about the season? Well, lack of point guard play, as much as I love Ty Rogers, and early on he got to the rim and he finished. And I'm not surprised because he's got great body control down there. I love Ty. I don't know if you're maximizing him at that, that position, but it may work beautifully. I think Damask being able to handle it helps a little bit. And then you switch a little bit with Coleman and Terrence. But it's still a concern because if you had a dynamic point guard, Ray J. Dennis, I think the sky would, in fact, be the limit for this team. However, um, I do think in a weird way you can work around it because you do have enough guys you could put at the one that would make a bad matchup for the opposing team. And I do think defensively, you'll be able to guard any one that they put against you. Look at Kansas last night. They got a pretty good point guard. You kept him in front of you and at bay. But concerns would still be point guard. Three-point shooting, I'm not going to get fooled by one game. I do think there's going to be times where you go really cold. And as long as this team adjusts, and they recognize it's not their shooting night. Attack, I think we can overcome that in some matchups, but there will be other matchups where you're limited by a cold shooting night. I know that goes for most teams, but I do think this team will be streakier from three. So it's twofold. Point guard, three-point shooting. I think that the lineups will dictate what players are out there when you would be shooting the most free throws. So at the moment, I'm not going to freak out about free throws because... I think when it matters the most, a Dane Danger or a Ty Rogers probably won't be on the court. What is your faith in Brad Underwood for this season? It's amazing the the pendulum. So when football stinks, it's like, I love you, Bruce Weber or John Gross. <laughs> or, you know, and I did kind of swing, and that's the natural thing of being a fan, where it's like, maybe I shouldn't complain about Brad Underwood. I, my thing with Brad Underwood going into this offseason and through the offseason was I was so kind of disillusioned by the perceived lack of control over last year's team. Not to mention the finish, where you lost your last three games or four of your last five, and thank God you beat Michigan in double overtime last year, because otherwise that would have been a truly disastrous end. So it left a sour taste in my mouth. Brad loves to talk in – he loves hyperbole, and he loves the word elite. I like Mark this. Smith is uh, Jason Kidd. <laughs> hey, in fairness – I said on the Tay and Jay show that, or maybe it was Tay and Carp back in 93.5, that Mark Smith was the next D Brown. So I'm, I'm prone to hyperbole too, but Brad Underwood loves it. And it kind of cracks me up because I remember Lou Henson back in the day. We'd listen to the pregame, uh, Lauren Tate and Jim Turpin, kind of like Waldorf and Statler from the Muppets. They've always been around. And that's how I always viewed them. And they would talk to Lou Henson and he would, praise. I don't care what scrub team came in for the Illini Pepsi Classic, Bethune-Cookman, Chicago State. He would praise them like Lou Holtz would. So hyperbole is not a bad thing, but um, in fairness, if you said to any Illini fan when we hired Brad Underwood, this is what he would accomplish in seven years. And this is what the team would look like going into year seven. There is not a single fan that would say, nah, I don't want that. This is an un not unmitigated because I use that for disaster. This is an objective success. 
So I want to bear that in mind, despite the disappointments in the postseason. And yeah, there's things that we need to see from them and questions after all these veterans leave. But the health of the program is a hell of a lot better than it was when he came in. And when the new AP poll comes out, I know that exhibition games shouldn't really qualify for that, but it probably will. And you'll probably see Illinois get a little bump as quickly as they can get in the AP poll, and deservedly so. So, I mean, if I had to give him a grade or something, because of the lack of postseason success, it'd be hard to give him any sort of A grade. But I'd have to give him a B plus, right? Two banners, probably should be three with a Big Ten regular season title that we didn't get because of COVID and all that crap. And the fact that you are consistently making tournaments and you're consistently in the top 25, I, I'm sorry, but that's everything I asked for. So I, I'm trying to kind of check myself with that. So this is going to be our Illinois basketball season preview show. So I'm curious on your thoughts. What do you think the ceiling for this team is this year? Uh, after last night, I'm trying to check myself because it's all matchup based and we know that tournament, but I think the ceiling that, that for me has changed. I knew the floor was pretty high and that that's what happens when you bring a Terrence Shannon and a Coleman Hawkins back along with other veterans that we all knew were smarter players. So we thought we would like this team more. And I think last night proved that yes, we will probably just like this team more, their personality and they won't do as many dumb things for lack of eloquence there. But the ceiling, boy, depending on the matchup, I do think the the toughest thing this team would bring to an opponent in the NCAA tournament would be matching up against its size and athleticism. That stood out to me. I mean, Kansas might not be the deepest Kansas team, but the studs that they have, you were matching them. McCuller is a stud. And Terrence Shan was better. Coleman Hawkins was better than Hunter Dickinson last night. Plain and simple, he guarded one of the best centers he's going to have to guard all year, and he won that matchup. I mean, Hunter got his, but it wasn't efficient. So this tells me that the ceiling is a little bit higher. Now, that's all predicated on can you make your threes when it matters, but I think where you last year were a mess going into the tournament, and two years ago, it felt like Kofi and Trent and those guys had kind of left it all on the court in the Big Ten regular season, and I wasn't overly bummed with the loss to Houston because I felt like they were just spent. It just felt like they were spent. That this team has the best chance to make a run since the team back in 2021. As far as the Big Ten, I think top four is almost assured. Uh, I, I don't see any teams other than Purdue, Michigan State, and, oh, I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, Maryland? I think Maryland's sneaky tough. But I, I think you're top four in the Big Ten, and I can say that with confidence and probably would have even before I saw yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I think Maryland is uh, right up there in that second tier with Illinois. I think that's your second tier right there. Your first tier, obviously, is Purdue and Michigan State, but who knows one injury to Zach Eady, and that can all fall apart for Purdue. Uh, so you just got to put yourself in position to uh, be in that top two if that opportunity presents itself. I would agree with that, and I think that um, watching Michigan State yesterday, they're going to get better. That was a really fun second half with them in Tennessee. Their guards are great, and I do think that's going to be a very intriguing matchup when we play them because they do not have the size that Illinois does. But we saw last year that their guards, it was a two-man game with Hogard and uh, Walker when they came to the State Farm Center. It was a great game, and those two guys got theirs, and they will get theirs again. But the question is, do they have anyone that can slow down a Terrence Shannon? Do they have anyone that can slow down a Coleman Hawkins? Uh, what Quincy Garrier is a very interesting matchup in all this, and now we got Damask, 
who, not just because he's a white guy, I'm not trying to play that card, but it's kind of like what Hauser was for them last year, right? I mean, there's no reason that Damask cannot be that type of player. So I, I think that the Big Ten is a little more interesting. Purdue, somewhat boringly, might kind of, you know, sweep through this thing. But you're right about the injury front. And I do wonder if one more year with tape, if teams just don't say, you know what, screw it. We're going to send two or three guys to Edie and let your your B minus guys try to beat us on the arc. I would be okay with that. And uh, I don't think it's going to be quite as easy in the regular season for Purdue this year. Uh, final question for you, Carp. Uh, Looking at the whole department of intercollegiate athletics at the University of Illinois as a whole, how do you think Josh Whitman and his team have done from fan experience to uh, – product on the court or on the field as a whole how do you think they've done um in recent years like i won't ask you to grade him uh, his whole tenure because a lot of things have changed but recently how do you think they have done with messaging the program and bringing it out to the forefront i think overall quite well uh my well i'll get to the concerns last year because i do think that there's one thing that informs how we view josh whitman ultimately uh but the Shauna Green hire looks to be dynamite. And I know that, you know, listen, five years ago, and somewhat rightfully so, most Illini fans would have said, ah, women's basketball. Because we've been so bad for 20 years. But it was pretty cool to see last year when they got the win against Iowa. I was down in Tampa waiting for the Illini bowl game. It was the day before it, and they beat Iowa on New Year's Day. And that was kind of the announcement that, wow, they're legit good. And they look to be basically borderline top 25 this year. That was a dynamite hire. Say what you want about Underwood, but it's really hard to criticize that hire. And that was his first basketball hire, and Shauna Green was his second women's basketball hire. I think the game day experience you talk about, State Farm Center is a rock show now. I think it is absolutely fantastic. It feels like a pro game, and I know that some purists would maybe think, we need more band playing just a gigolo and all the old band hits. And I'm like, stop it. Pep bands are fine, but no. Pump the music and the if you said in certain sections, my parents' seats, the subwoofers must be right underneath them. You cannot talk to the person next to you during breaks and games, and God forbid when they do the uh, stand up and shout, ear piercing, and that's how it should be. It should be a sensory experience. I think the game day experience on the whole, fantastic. I applaud them for it. They're doing, they're controlling the controllables, but we know what my concern is going to be, and this is a Illini problem that goes beyond Josh Whitman. My concern with Whitman coming in was that I don't think he said Ron Gunther was a mentor. I don't think he said that specifically, but he was here when Ron Gunther was the AD. And my biggest issue with that was how could the football guy be so bad at hiring a football coach? Now, that might be unfair because historically our program stinks, and I get that. But in this NIL age, I don't buy that anymore. I don't think the same systemic things that were against you are there as much anymore. You're getting the players in that you need to academically. You're finding ways to go out and get talent if you really know how to navigate it. So time will tell. But his legacy is going to be football. Because let's say worst case scenario with Bielema. They finish outside of a bowl game this year. He can't pick up recruiting. These guys come from the West and the Big Ten. And then you're you know relegated to four and eight seasons for the next two or three years. And then you got to make a choice. We're going to do that all over again. And, and that would be a major hit against him, no matter how everything else is gone. If he fumbles this second hire and Lance Leipold goes on to bring Kansas to national prominence, boy, oh boy, 
Um, hindsight is always 2020, but eventually you just got to get it right and you're getting paid good money to do it. So that's the big matzo ball out there for Josh Whitman. And we shall see. I hope to God that it works. I really do. And I think it can, but it's a little scary right now with football. You know, Mike, uh, yeah, I know Austin said last question, but you just okay. had me thinking. Um, on our last show, Austin and I kind of got into deep diving this. Like, let's just say your worst scenario came through with uh, Brett Ooh. and we decided to move in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Now, Illinois and, you know, the Big Ten West teams, and for the most part, the better part of the Big Ten, we have this style of play the style of coach that we're constantly trying to hire to implement, you know, a nice, good defense, solid run game, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. As we were hashing it out last week, the more I was thinking about it, you know, seeing Wisconsin trying to make an adjustment, seeing Purdue trying to make an adjustment and seeing, you know, some of the newer teams from the West that are entering the Big Ten, Mm. I was starting to convince myself that independent of Brett Bielema, like just moving forward, let's just say he has a successful career and he retires in two years for whatever reason. Would you be open to all of a sudden going to like a more air raid, more offensive focused coach, like philosophy, um, just to counterbalance? Because at, at this point in about three, four years, you know, if there's rumors, you know, there's a Florida State and a couple other programs that could be joining the conference. You're talking about half the schools in the conference are no longer of the old Big Ten variety. Mm-hmm. Um, for you, If you're the AD, would you be more open to, you know, again, hiring a more Lincoln Riley-esque, you know, like an offensive guru type of coach? Or do you think you'd kind of stick with the model that we've kind of been uh, used to? You know, we haven't really done the offensive coach since Ron Turner. And it worked for two seasons out of seven. But when it worked and he had a quarterback, it really worked. So I didn't know I would be open to anything. You know, you take Purdue and it took one coach, Joe Tiller, to establish here's what Purdue does. And from Joe Tiller to Danny Hope to the disaster that was Daryl Hazel to the pretty good Jeff Brom era. And we're we're seeing right now how good of a coach Jeff Brom is. And that's why I think that our old friend Ryan Walters is going to struggle because Purdue, when they aren't playing Illinois, that is Purdue just kind of stinks. But, yeah, if you get a guy that can institute that, you can set up really whatever identity you want. And I'm not, I'm not married to anything. What attracted me to Bielema was maybe less the idea of good defense and strong run game. And, you know, I'm, I'm fine with that. And I do think that that is an identity that Ron Zook never quite figured out. Ron Zook was kind of patchwork. It was just whatever. And I don't, I don't know what Tim Beckman's thing was. I, you know seems like a nice guy, but I don't know. And then Lovey Smith was just checked out from day one. So there's been some unmitigated disasters. Brett Bielema is not that. Uh, but I do think that my attraction to the Brett Bielema style is that don't let the other team make the mistakes. In an ideal world, that's what a Brett Bielema team looks like. Now, for some reason, when it matters the most, last year when he got a Big Ten title on the line, or this year, when you go four and four in the bye week, and you have a twenty-one to seven lead, or uh, yeah, that's right, you're making the mistakes. So I love the identity. Execute it. I know it's year three, and this is a process. And I would love to think in year five and six, boy, that year three was surprisingly tough. But that's just the process. And you could look at records like a, a Kirk Ferentz, 
he had a like a four win year in year five or six. You know, I mean, th these dips happen, uh, but I love the identity overall. I just got to see it implemented. And I think the first six games, especially the Purdue and Nebraska games, the amount of stupid I saw, that's not what we're paying Brett Bielma for. We're, we paid Brett Bielma to coax and teach the stupid out of them. And then they were doing some Lovey-esque, Tim Beckman-esque garbage. Um, that, I think, um, along with the collapse, which the News Gazette was every right to put that headline because it was a total collapse. And these Agreed. big boys, that's a whole other thing, Austin. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> I, I've been on it. <laughs> yes, you have. Thank you for that. But it's just ridiculous. But um, yeah, that that right there, Sonny, is why um, this year has been so vexing. Because Kansas, sure. Penn State, sure. But I said after the Penn State game, you better be four and two because you're playing three scrub teams in a row. And guess what? You did play three scrub teams in a row. You just happened to lose to Purdue. They suck. I mean, not to sound sophomoric here, but they are terrible. And then Nebraska, I guess they're better than Purdue if you're going head to head. But I mean, Hunter Hell of a Hick of what I don't know what his name is. I don't care what his name is. He's not good. And he ran all over you. You were looking so dumb those first six games. And I hate this too little, too late thing we're looking at. And we're just in such a precarious spot as a program. Uh all the time, kind of with Illinois football, they've got to be better than that. And if this BMO thing is going to work, it's not going to be because of great recruiting wins. It's going to be because you're just less dumb than the others. I would love that. But the fact that we haven't seen that this year has kind of called into question what ex where exactly is this going? So um, that was, sorry, a little bit long-winded for the question you asked, but I like the identity now. Just start doing it. Arp, thank you for joining us. Thank you for your time. It's been incredible to catch up. And uh, thank you again for joining the Atlanta cast. It's Mike Carpenter from the 200 level. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. That was Mike Carpenter of the 200 level. And we are going to continue on to do some superlatives for Illini basketball. So, Sonny, you have some listed. What is the first one that you have? All right, let me pull it up real quick. All right, this one's probably going to be the easiest one. Um, the high score for the upcoming Illinois basketball team. Nico Moretti. <laughs> Just kidding. We all know Nico. that it's probably going to be Terrence Shannon Jr., but here would be an interesting offshoot of that question. Who's the second leading scorer for this Illinois basketball team? That's a really good question. Um, based on what I saw, I, I think I'd still lean Coleman Hawkins because I think he's going to be on the floor a lot. And so there's going to be a lot of, you know, 13 to 16 point games. And that should be enough to be the second highest scorer. I'm going to pull one out here. What if it's Quincy Garrier? Like there are an opera, there are opportunities for a lot of second chance opportunities for him. He's going to be tenacious on the offensive rebounding side of things, and I think that's where he can clean up a lot of things. Plus some some design plays or some second options or third options. I think there's an opportunity for Quincy Garrier to be the second leading scorer on this line of basketball team. I mean, you looked at how much he scored last night. He was 
13 points. He was third highest score to Coleman Hawkins, but there's an outside shot that Quincy Garrier will be the second leading scorer on this line of basketball team. And I don't think it would be necessarily bad uh, for Coleman Hawkins. Uh, it, it, would not, it would not mean that Coleman Hawkins did anything bad. It's just Quincy Garrier might play a little bit uh, better than Coleman. It's from time to time. I'm seeing Quincy's game yesterday uh, kind of made me even more excited for the season moving forward. Obviously, in the first game against Ottawa, you know, we had Damask and Goody starting and it worked out really well. And, you know, as I was looking at the lineup, I'm like, you know what? It makes a lot of sense. It kind of spaces the floor for Terrence to do whatever he needs to do. But in the back of my head, I was like, there's no way that's going to work against the size of Kansas. Like when if you're going up against a big, physical, talented team, then you're going to be outmatched. So Underwood, you know, inserting Garrier into the a starting lineup, you kind of saw, you know, that we can play two different styles of basketball. You know, he can be that big 10, big power forward who's, as you said, grabbing rebounds, second chance points. So he was a you know key factor for me and my even more uh, optimism moving forward for this season. So I, you know I, I don't think you're completely way off with that pick. Who is going to be the high rebounder for this line of basketball team? Uh, again, maybe I'm just being too lazy with this, but I'm just thinking minutes on the floor. Again, I like Garrier, but I just wonder you know if. Uh, against certain teams, he's not going to be on the floor as much because we want to space out the floor a little bit more and give the minutes to Goody or Damask. So, but I'm, I'm just going to go with Coleman Hawkins. I think, you know, he's kind of in a season now where he's gotten his uh, feedback from all the NBA teams. And this season is pretty obviously him working on what he needs to work on so that he gets drafted at that next level. And so I think, you know, showing an ability to rebound, I think that's something he's going to be focused with outside, obviously, the outside shooting. So I'm going to cheat since you keep letting me pick first. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Coleman Hawkins. Yeah, I think Coleman Hawkins is the easy answer here because just the opportunities to get some rebounds uh, down low on defense and then offensively, he too can feast on some offensive rebounds if Terrence Shannon misses a shot here and there. Um, so I think he is going to be the leading rebounder of this team. Now it gets nice. a little interesting. You know, I was going to say, but Austin, it's nice because if you really think about it, like we have a couple different options, you know, with – with Danger, with Coleman, with Garrier. Like, we do have some big guys who, you know, should Coleman get into foul trouble? You know, the fact that we can just throw in Danger into the lineup, like, that's a starting level caliber Big Ten player. So, you know, I, I, we've talked about this before on the pod. I love how interchangeable our team is. Um, you know, outside the only player I think that we would be in very big trouble if we lost is Terrence Shannon, because I don't think we have someone who can replace his productivity. But, you know, we talked about Justin Harmon. Justin Harmon just seems like what we want Sincere Harris to eventually become. You know, if Harmon's having a bad game, all right, let's let's see what Harris can do. You know, Damask, Goody, uh, you know, and, and where I brought the original point, you know, Coleman Hawkins, if we got danger there. We got uh, Gary. It's just, it's a nice feeling that, you know, I know Mike said that he still thinks our teams only go eight deep, but I legit think we have at nine, at least during the regular season. And um, 
it's 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 again it's this feeds into my optimism i mean the fact that a maryland gatorade player of the year in amani hansberry might not see the floor that much it's just yeah. insane if you were thinking about like Laron Black in the Jerron Gross era, he was made to play minutes early on his freshman year. Like he, Laron Black would be a the the last man on the bench in his freshman year on this Illini basketball team. I mean, it's just crazy to think about the growth that this program has built from the time that Brad Underwood started to where he is now. But you look at this interesting one. Who will lead this Illini team in assists per game? Interesting is definitely the right word because there's, unlike the other stats um, that we talked about, I, I wouldn't say anyone jumps out at you here. No. Um, you know, Ty Rogers, obviously, he's going to start the season as our point guard and, you know, hopefully end the season as a point guard. But I think based on what I saw the first two games, there's two names that are jumping out at me. And just to not repeat myself, I'm actually going to go with uh, Damask. Um, I just think he's one of those guys that, you know, once you get set up in your half-court offense, uh, you can kind of run the ball through him. Um, he's mature enough. He's got that game day experience enough where um, he's confident in what he does. He knows what to look for. And he's got a vision, which is something Brad Underwood uh, really likes. And so, I don't think the assist total is going to be very high for the leader on our team this year. I think it's going to be, you know, pretty well balanced throughout the lineup, but I think I'm going to go with him. I think Marcus is the best passer on this Atlanta basketball team, but I do think Ty Rogers will get that crown simply because of how Brad Underwood will want to play that booty ball, especially in the big 10 where he can get, four or three guys in, and then he can kick it out to a Terrence Shannon, kick it out to a Coleman Hawkins, or the nice shooters in Luke Goody and Marcus Damask to get his assist totals juiced a little bit that way. Uh, so I think he'll lead the team in assists, but I think Marcus Damask, if this was a thing in basketball, I think he would lead the team in assists if you count like second assists like they do in hockey. I think he is going to set up a lot of great opportunities for scoring, but it might just be that second pass to get to the assist right there. I, I just think that passing duo of Rogers and Damask with how they can possibly maneuver things in the half court is just going to be so much fun to watch. And Coleman, you know, Coleman for a big, yeah, can make you know some pretty good passes too. So it's like, uh, We've got the talent there on the court. And we actually saw it, a preview of it, you know, against Kansas. Like they had some offensive sets were, which were just beautiful passing around the court. Um, you know, and hopefully that's what happens when you put three good passers on the court together. And, you know, it's all about whether the guys who they pass it to are able to hit their shots or not. Small sample size, but Terrence Shannon and Coleman both had two assists in the game against Kansas. Uh, Ty Rogers had three, and then Marcus Damask had one assist uh, last night against Kansas. So I, I think that's just uh, indicative of the passing ability of this team to have two big guys alongside your guards to really help the passing ability. Who will be the first man off of the bench, or maybe even a better question, who will be the leading scorer of the team off of the starting five? So I'm going to answer this question in the sense of if this team 
hits its ceiling, who's the guy who's giving you the most points off the bench? And to me, that answer is Luke Goody. I think if Luke Goody comes off the bench and is able to give you double-figure points, is able to give you 38 to 40% plus three-point shooting, that's going to add a layer to our team that last year we lacked. Um, I mean, essentially we've been lacking since uh, Alfonso Plummer. Uh, that's kind of what we need because, you know, as as much as we're praising our first team, our second team, while talented, doesn't have the shooters. You know, when you're talking about Danger, Sincere Harris, uh, those type of guys on the court together, the defense can just hunker down and – Luke Goody being able to kind of spread the floor um, for your team, I think is going to be a huge asset. And him being a, a, a good player raises the ceiling for this team, in my opinion, to where we're at, which is, you know, the third or fourth best team in the conference to giving us a chance to win the conference, you know, should certain bounces go our way. Yeah, I think the most impactful bench player might be Justin Harmon. Uh, he scored 14 a po- 14 points a game for Utah Valley. And I know this is a completely different level of basketball in the Big Ten and the non-conference slate that the Illini are playing, and it's not going to be the Utah Valley schedule. But I-, I just feel like he has that scores mentality that maybe Luke Goody doesn't necessarily have. I think Luke Goody is a more complete basketball player than Justin Harmon. But I feel like in that second group of players – I think Justin might have the best scores mentality, but I think Luke Goody has the best overall game of like, all right, I know when to pass here. I'm going to be a tough rebounder, um, even though Justin Harmon had six rebounds in the game against Kansas. So I, I think Justin Harmon is going to be the most impactful bench player uh, coming off of the coming off the bench for this Atlanta team. I mean, it's just unbelievable what he brought. He could bring to the floor and he's not starting, which is just incredible in and of itself. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a nice asset to have. Uh, He didn't, he actually didn't do much in the Ottawa game. So, you know, I was kind of pleasantly surprised with how much he was, I don't know what the word is, annoying Kansas and their big men, you know, like he just, he was that scrappy guy who, you know, was just in the Kansas players faces, swiping at the ball. Um, You know, yeah, he, he had a good offensive showing. Um, he's going to obviously eat into Sincere Harris's minutes a little bit, but it also gives Sincere a blueprint of the type of player that we want him to be on our team. So, you know, it, hopefully it's kind of a more of a positive effect. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people didn't exactly like the bringing in of Harmon. Uh, I'm surprised by that. I think he can be a valuable piece uh, to our, especially our second team. Cause right now when I look at that second team, yeah, you throw it into danger, but if danger, you know, learns to pass it back out of the post, uh, who's going to do anything with it. And if Justin can be that guy, you know, I think that makes our team stronger. Yeah, I think the vitriol about Justin Harmon came due to the fact that you didn't know if you had the scholarship space for a Ray J Dennis or another point guard. So that kind of murkied the waters a little bit on how Illinois could improve uh, their team. But uh, based on the way this team is currently constructed, I think Justin's going to be a really fine bench player uh, coming off, coming into the game for the Illini. Who is going to be the breakout player of this season? 
<sighs> the funny thing is I, I feel like I was going to say Harmon here. Um, I'll, you know, I'll just go with the optimistic again, you know, talk about how I answered the last question in order for Illinois to be the best possible basketball team. I think if Luke Goody is the highest scorer off the bench, I think that helps us reach our ceiling. I think that also holds true for Ty, the Ty Rogers uh, experience, experiment at point guard. Um, if he's able to break through and, you know, just he doesn't have to be a good point guard. As long as he's a serviceable player in his second year, I think that raises uh, the ceiling to uh, for Illinois so much higher because, yeah, you know, it's hard for us to match up against other point guards, but who's going to match up against Ty Rogers at point guard you know just the sheer size that we're going to have in our big lineups and if he's able to you know just play within the offense find the right guy make the right choice and you know add just booty ball you know the opposing guards into the paint and get some easy buckets now we're talking about just weapons everywhere on this Illinois basketball team and uh you know that has me excited yeah, this one is difficult because I feel like there's one alpha and the rest of the guys going down the lineup are pretty similar. I mean, Coleman Hawk, that's unfair to Coleman. I think there's the Terrence Shannon tier, there's the Coleman Hawkins tier, and then there's like everybody else on the roster. So this question is very difficult, but I think Amani Hansberry, even though he won't play too terribly much, I feel like the flashes are going to be there because with posts, like especially in the Big Ten, they wear down. And I think there could be a few games that you know, like that a big man, like maybe Dane Danger is like, oh, I tweaked an ankle or something like that. And you're going to need that extra post uh, depth. And I think Imani Hansberry is going to showcase his hustle. He's going to showcase his true tenacity as a, as a rebounder. So I'm excited to see what he can bring to this lineup uh, because, I mean, he's got all the skills in the world of what Brad Underwood loves to have in a guy down low. And I think he'll be able to showcase that for a few games and really spark his career as an Illini. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that would be fantastic. You know, but both of our freshmen, um, you know, I don't think the expectations are high for him, but both uh, could be called upon. And, you know, um, they played Gibbs more as a, off the ball player uh, in the exhibition matches, which I thought was interesting because um, I kind of thought that maybe he's kind of our backup in case Ty doesn't work out. But, you know, if you've seen the highlight videos of him, you know, on Twitter, they love posting it. Uh, you know, he's got the talent, he's got the jumps, he's got the hops. So um, Amani, I think, is going to, by the time he's done at Illinois, he's going to be one of my all time favorite Illini. So I really do hope you're right. He is one of those players that we've, seen at Illinois and be like oh my god like we had to go up against a guy like Amani Hansberry like oh this is awful like he, he gets all the calls he's just so physical he jumps higher than everybody else for rebounds even though he doesn't look the most athletic I mean it's just unreal what he can bring to the Illini especially by his senior year if he does in fact stay uh, until then who is going to be the point guard at the end of the year <sighs> Uh, I, this is this is the million dollar question really for how good is the Illinois basketball team going to be this year? Um, I mean, I I think it's still going to be Ty Rogers, but I would not be surprised if by the end of the year 
it was more Domask making the playmaking point guard duties, you know, that that role should have, you know, Ty may be bringing it across the court, but Marcus has already shown a certain level of basketball IQ where if Ty gets off to a rough start or certain things are just not working out, I can see Brad um, understanding that, you know, this is an important season and we only have one year with these young guys, uh, with these older guys, sorry. So um, I'm going to say Damask may have the predominant uh, point guard duties uh, at the end of the year. I mean, Brian Mullins, uh, the SIU basketball coach, trusted Marcus Damask to bring the ball up whenever it was a clutch situation for the Salukis. And Marcus has that experience of leading an offense. So it would not shock me if Marcus is that change of pace point guard from the booty ball that Ty Rogers could bring that physicality. If uh, he wants more of a flow of an offense in this Marcus Damask, Luke Goody, um, Terrence Shannon, Coleman Hawkins style lineup without Ty Rogers in there. I, I think that he can lead that offense fine, uh, especially not being double covered like he was at SIU. He can actually see the floor, know the pace of the game and not uh, panic. So I think that's a really solid uh, combination of point guards. I think it's going to be a change of pace. Uh, Marcus Damask and Ty Rogers as your two leaders of the offense. So three pointers made per game last year was at 7.6. Are you over or under? This is your number 8.5 this year. I think it has to be over. You know, we talk about three key players that we lost from last year's team. Um, you know, Sky Clark, Jaden Epps, uh, RJ Melendez. Those three weren't shooters. I mean, Melendez was. They just weren't going in for him last year. His shoulder. Yeah, right. Um, and the three guys, you know, Luke Goody is now going to be here for a full season as opposed to last year when he came in in January. You know, he's had plenty of time to heal at this point. We have Domask. Um, Gary can hit the three, and, you know, he's going to be playing some pretty prominent minutes. So I think it goes over eight and a half, and I think um, it's not that close. I think um, the way Underwood wants us playing this season, I think we know Coleman is going to be really focused on his three-point shooting, and, you know, Brad Underwood was being his typical Brad Underwood self. self uh, I don't know if you saw the press conference where he said that Coleman was hitting like 40 or 50% of his three-pointers. It's like, okay, sure, sure he was, Brad. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to say this one goes over, and it's not very close. I mean, based on the small sample size of the Kansas game, Illinois was 11 for 27 from the three-point line. Terrence Shannon was five for nine. Coleman Hawkins was four for nine. So that's nine right there just from those two alone in one game. And I think with the passing ability of this team between Marcus Damask and with the way Ty Rogers is going to basically sink the defense into the paint, I think there's opportunities for three-point shots to get in. The way they played last year was not conductive of making a lot of three-pointers. It was a lot high volume, but it was a way of basketball that just wasn't too natural and how you win games. When you had Coleman Hawkins, and I know that he's going to correct those issues this year, and Matthew Meyer and even Terrence Shannon to a point, just driving down the, driving down the court, 15 seconds left in the shot clock, 
try to hit a three-pointer, and that's your offense. I don't think it's going to be like that this year. I think there's going to be some uh, passing around the perimeter, getting things back to the third side, and with the rebounding ability and the kickout ability of of like Ty Rogers, I think that's going to help Illinois surpass that eight and a half number. So I think the way they play basketball this year is just going to be more conductive for that three point shooting ability. So if I set the number at 10 and a half, what would you say? Push. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure how you push a half. (laughs) Well, I mean, if it's per game, you know, like Uh uh, it can end at 10.5, I guess. Um, But uh, if I had to put, if I had to say a clear over and under, I'd probably say under of that. I think ten might be the magic number there. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think the seed is going to be in the NCAA tournament, and where do you think Illinois finishes in the Big Ten? So, I guess it's predictions time. Um, our yes. football predictions didn't turn out too well, so let's not try to screw this one up uh, as bad. We're going to lose one game to Ohio State because they hit a (laughs) three-point shot at the end of the game, and then we're going to lose to North Carolina in the championship. 29-3. No, no. No, that happened. Never mind. (laughs) I think we are going to finish – I think I said this earlier in a show, so I'm just going to stick with it. I don't think Brad Underwood is as focused on the regular season as much as he's been in the years past. I think we've done it before. He understands the season now is the season that starts in March. So I'm going to say that there's teams that we're kind of in the same tier with who might be trying a little bit more aggressively uh, in the regular season. So I'm going to say we finished fourth in the Big Ten. And I'll say we are a fifth seed in the tournament. And I say we make the Sweet 16 this year. I'm going to say we finish third in the Big Ten over Maryland. I think that's our biggest competition for that number three spot. With the opportunity to become one or two, like I said earlier on in the podcast, if a Zach Eady goes down or if Michigan State has an injury. I think we could push into that top two, but I think we're firmly that top team in that second tier of the big 10. And based on the way that the national perspective of the big 10 this year is like, I've seen the big 10 ranked fourth or fifth as a conference this year, just because of the lack of depth that they don't have in some conferences do. I think they'll, be third in the Big Ten, but they'll be like a sixth seed in the NCAA tournament just because of the of some non-conference slip-ups. Maybe they are two and two in that huge four-game stretch, and I think that'll give the committee enough validation to say that they're a sixth seed. Um, But that still puts you in a really great position to make a Sweet 16, and I, I won't go as far to say that they will make that Sweet 16, but I think this team has the best version of players and the best best the best mix to get that done. So six seed, third in the conference. What's the ceiling for this team? Four out of the five uh, four out of the five biggest concerns that you have uh, turn into positives. So, you know, let's just say most things work out this season. What's the ceiling for this team? Uh, shooting goes well. Ty Rogers is an outstanding point guard. I think the ceiling of this team is elite eight with the game to go to the final four. 
Um, I don't know if they can win a national title with this group, but Elite Eight seems like the ceiling. And with the right matchups, I mean, I'm telling you, that booty ball is pretty effective. And when you have a guy like Terrence Shannon who can score the rock from anywhere, that's a huge ask for a team in an NCAA tournament where you don't have much scouting uh, that you can do on these teams in such a short amount of time. So I think Elite Eight is the ceiling of this team. See, I'd say as assembled, um, I think the ceiling for this team is the Final Four. Um, I just, if the, the way they played against Kansas, I think, you know, we're talking about some of the X factors uh, going our way, like Ty Rogers, you know, Luke Goody being a good scorer off the bench. I think if we have some sort of development, I think one of the weaknesses besides the point guard uh, of this team is um, relying on Terrence so much for that offensive firepower. So that's what keeps me from giving them that national champion um, ceiling. But should all of a sudden, you know, uh, someone step up, I, you know, I, at this point looking at our team, I'm not sure who it would be, but if there was a second guy who. If Quincy turns into Draymond Green. Yeah, sure. Um, that could elevate us to the point where I think that, you know, hey, you know, this could be the team that uh, delivers for Brad Underwood and, you know, finally makes it to the national championship. I mean, that I mean, that would be absolutely unreal. And like if it does happen, I wouldn't be absolutely shocked by it. like I wouldn't be like, oh, my God, this is incre-. like it would be incredible, obviously. But I wouldn't be like this wasn't really supposed to happen, like because you can see the pieces, you can see how this team gelled together and got to that point. So I, I at least love that we're starting the season off with that kind of mindset because this team has a Marcus Omask, a guy who was a Valley first team uh, player. You have a guy like Justin Harmon who 14 points at Utah Valley. You have Coleman Hawkins and Terrence Shannon who have got it done at Texas tech and Illinois to get to multiple NCAA tournaments. So the, the, the path is there. It's just, can these Weaknesses, because whenever you start to get into that final four national championship territory, the margins are so razor thin. So it becomes about the three point shooting ability, it becomes about Ty Rogers' ability at the point guard, and if there is a need for a second point guard. So I love that we're here at this point talking about Illinois basketball in such a way compared to what it was like talking about John Gross whenever I was working at uh, Stevie J Broadcasting up in Urbana. I mean, it was like, okay, we lost most of our big non-conference games. Uh, what is uh, the five-star recruit in Chicago looking like? Oh, he's going to Kentucky? Ah, dang it. Let's uh, figure out uh, the next class and try to get that relationship built up. So I'm so excited. This is where Illinois basketball is at the moment. And I, I, I know I'm a greedy fan. That is my biggest flaw as a fan. But... I, I got to remember to pinch myself and realize where we are as a program because I've seen the depths of where it can go. Exactly right. You know, it, we're at a point where Brad Underwood has, you know, four-star recruits sitting at the end of the bench who, you know, we talk about in our season preview show, you know, barely getting any sort of minutes. Um, you know, Monty, as you said, he, he would have been, you know, the first, our go-to player 
just like eight, nine years ago, just because we were so lacking in talent. Um, it's going to be interesting this season uh, because we – I mean, think of the names that we've been talking about today for the most part. Uh, think of what our team is going to look like next year. You know, I mean, you'd assume yeah. Terrence is gone. You'd think Coleman's gone. Obviously, Damas, Carmen, all these guys are not going to be on the team next year. So I feel like there might be even like an extra sense of urgency in these guys knowing it's their last go around. And that's why, you know, if we're able to kind of cap it off with a really successful season at the end and, you know, how you define really successful, it's going to be up to each individual fan. For me, successful is Sweet 16, really successful is Elite 8. Um, it's, it's, it, I think it's going to be important because next year does seem like a reloading year. Um, we're going to be losing a lot of the you know, perceived offensive production that we're going to have. But it's just nice that the way Underwood has recruited over the last few years, you know, pretty much, if not the best in the Big Ten, you know, one of the top two or three, um, that I feel more confident that we're going to have talent coming in. I mean, we have Morez Johnson, who is Illinois' best shot at a McDonald's All-American that we've had in a extremely long time. I know he did really well in the USA camps and everything uh, leading up to this point. So the fact that recruiting is bringing in a guy like that, and I mean, in today's day and age, the transfer portal is so huge. And if you can get to the second weekend, then you're starting to talk about getting that first wave of transfer guys, like the creme de la creme of transfers. And if you get some of those, pair him with pair them with Morez Johnson and Ty Rogers and uh, Luke Goody. I mean, then you're talking about not only building a solid foundation of a program, you're talking about slowly building a mansion of an Atlanta basketball program. So the I, the margins again are razor thin. But if you can say that you will go to the second weekend, get some of those uh, national telecasts uh, talking about you on that full week uh, going into the Sweet 16, that's whenever you can start really going places as a program. Yeah, and I, I can't wait for the season to start. You know, I know we play uh, – we kick off the season against, what, Eastern Illinois. And, yes. Uh, I mean, know, that's going to be such a letdown because of the <laughs> exhibition in Kansas. It's like, all right, Kansas, and then Eastern Illinois. No can offense. Can you imagine if, like, that game – Oh, <laughs> let's not <laughs> go there. Talk about just – Popping the air, you know, from the balloon. Oh my gosh, that would be such a bummer if all of a sudden, you know, that's that's like a hard fought win where we have to grind it out at the end of the game. But uh, you know, we are, we are got... not talking about Toledo football, okay? <laughs> and we've all got that, you know, Marquette game circled, and you know, that's going to be the big game. Which you know, uh, seeing the way we competed against Kansas, uh, you know, originally last week I said I was going to chalk that one up as a loss, but now. I'm really looking forward to seeing that game, and I think that'll kind of uh, set the tone for what the rest of the season is going to look like. Sonny, I think we discussed it a lot. November 6th can't come fast enough, especially with the way the Illini football program's going. But uh, thank you for joining me. It's been an amazing uh, episode, and thank you to Mike Carpenter uh, for joining the show as well. You can follow him at fanboy carp and at the 200 level you can follow me at ab 1132 and where can people find you sonny 
Uh, my personal account is the Sunny V, where you know I just talk normal sports, and uh, the guy who's tweeting from the at Cast uh, Twitter account that is uh, me as well. And thank you so much. And this has been the episode of the Illini Cast.